Well, this morning we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and, and as you know, if you've been with us during this series, is this, is that Jesus begins to raise the bar what it means to live the Christian life. I mean, as he comes to the Sermon on the Mount, remember, he's talking to believers. He's specifically talking to believers about how to live the successful Christian life. And as he's doing that, he's talking to them about it's really deeper than the outward stuff. And what he's saying is this, as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that it, it's just as important what you do is why you do it. It's just as important in your life and my life to him that your acts that you do are as important to him as why you do it. The fact is, he's teaching the believers there at the Sermon on the Mount how to live the successful Christian life or how to live a righteous life. Now listen, a righteous life simply means this, right living. And Jesus is saying that your motive, the reasons why you do something, yes, it's important why you do something, yes, it's important how you act, but Jesus says it's equally important your motive and why you do it. You know, we live in a day and we live in a time when it seems like we have an expert or a specialist for everything. I mean, in the automotive world with mechanics, we have specialists that just look at the electrical system. We have specialists that just look at the transmission. We have specialists of body work or specialists with the engine. But it seems like not only in that world, but other professions as well. We have specialists in financial planning. We have specialists in construction and other areas. We have specialists in the medical world as well. I mean, I remember when I was born, uh, I, I was delivered by an MD. And they just kind of did everything. And now it seems like we have specialists for every area of medicine as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having experts. But the problem with that is this. Is when you bring that methodology into the local church. And a lot of people come to a local church and they say, you know what, we'll give of our money and we'll give of our time and we'll come to church and we'll listen to worship, we'll listen to a sermon. But we want, we want a God expert to tell us what the Bible means, or to tell us what the Bible says, or just to tell us what God wants us to do. And there's a lot of people that will live life that way and say, you know what, we're just looking for a God expert just to tell us. And let me just tell you the problem with that. I mean, if you live life like that, you will develop a relationship with God based upon second-hand information. You'll develop a relationship with God based upon second-hand information, the cliff notes, rumors, all this other stuff. And let me, man, let me just tell you, you live life based upon second-hand information with God, then in the midst of temptation, the midst of difficulty in your life, you'll question, you say, does the Bible really say that? Does the Bible really mean that? Was he really telling the truth? Does the Bible really speak to that issue? And here's what you'll do. You'll begin to create God in your image. And you begin to create him in your image. And listen, if you develop a life of a relationship with God based upon secondhand information, you will never know why you believe what you believe. You'll never know it. You'll never come to the point in life when someone asks you, why do you believe that? Ah, because some preacher told me that. Ah, because that's what I heard the Bible says. Or that's who I think God is. It just seems to me that's how God would be. And you'll fall. 
Today we're talking about this issue of prayer, and I know that in our day and time, prayer is something that, is, that I really believe is just misunderstood. It's something that I've spent a lifetime learning about, and, and I'm still learning about it. And I'm going to talk to you about prayer in a real way and something that's just changed my life and deepened my prayer life and my ability to connect with God, because prayer is this. Prayer is the ability to connect with God. But so often we struggle at this such this important area of life. We struggle with the issue of prayer. I have a video clip that may look like a lot of us. It's about a, a young man that was about ready to meet her. He met his soon-to-be in-laws. And at the meal, they asked him to pray, and here's how he struggled through that. Watch the side screens. Good job, buns. Hot patooties. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like a family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace and many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> Why is it we oftentimes do that? Why is it that oftentimes we talk to God like, well, we wouldn't talk to anyone else like that? And we try to use language that we normally wouldn't use, and we try to use things to try to impress God and communicate to God. And here's the danger of what Jesus was saying about prayer is this. The danger is, is you may be praying to God, to a God that you don't have a relationship with. And really and truly, the, the reason that many of us have a difficult time praying in public, praying around other people, is because we're praying for the approval of those around us. And we don't understand that prayer is connecting with a holy and a righteous God. Yeah, people may get to witness that. People may get to see that. But you and I are not praying for the the approval or to impress people. And that's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he begins to warn them. Verse 5, watch this. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. In other words, don't pray to impress people. 
And this when you pray phrase is so important. Seven times it says when you pray in the passages that, that we're going to look at. Three times it says when you pray. Now listen, when Jesus was telling this to the disciples, when he was preaching this sermon, it was inconceivable to him that people who have a relationship with him never pray. I mean, he said when you pray, not if you pray. Not pray in times of emergency and crisis when everything's falling in, when you got problems, when you're hurting and, and finding. He says, no. He says, let me just tell you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be trying to impress people. It carries with this idea of doing things in your spiritual life only when other people are watching. He says, hey, the hypocrites, they only pray when others are watching. But they've mastered this art of trying to impress people. And they're really trying to connect to me. Because it's like they're on a stage. You see this phrase. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Oh, you guys, hang on. You guys change. There we go. <laughs> For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners. Watch this. To be seen by men. In the Greek, to be seen by men, one Greek word. You know what it means? Theater. It's a performance. The hypocrites, it's like they're in a theater. It's like they're on the platform. And the only reason they pray, listen, the only reason these guys pray is for the approval of men. They don't pray privately. They don't pray in secret. They don't pray any other place. But they only pray whether it's in church or they only pray at spiritual events or they only pray, they only connect with God at this time. Why? Because they care more about the approval, the applause of people around them than God himself. And that's why Jesus went on and says, I tell you the truth. Now watch this. It's so important. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. That carries the idea, and I, man, I hate to tell you this. That carries the idea that there are some prayers that are ineffective. There are some prayers that don't connect with God. There are some prayers that don't move the heart of God. There are some prayers that, that are something that we do for others and not for ourselves. And then he goes on, but when you pray, when you as a believer, when you as a person that has a relationship with me, don't be like them. But when you pray, you go into your room, close the door, and you pray to your Father who is unseen. For your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two types of prayers. One type is effective, ineffective. The other type is effective. In other words, Jesus is saying this, learn to have an authentic prayer life. He, it's not a prohibition against public prayer. What it is is this, it's a prohibition against praying in public that is not a part of your private life. Praying in public to where you're trying to get the applause and, and the approval of those around you. Trying to appear to be more spiritual than you really are. He says, live an authentic life. So this issue, you see... 
This was such an important message of the Jews of their day. The Jews had perfected this art. They had the, the Shema. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We watched them when we took a tour to Israel over December and January. We watched them pray this through. It was the most fascinating thing of some of the things that they would do while we were there. But the Shema was this, was a prayer that they would pray. It comes out of Deuteronomy. And they would pray it every day at 9 in the morning and 9 in the evening. No matter what they were doing, they would stop. And what was happening is this, is a lot of the, the Pharisees... They were going to the most, they were making sure that they were the most busiest places at those periods so that more people would, be, would see them. They had turned this, they had turned prayer into a performance. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, don't turn your spiritual life into a performance. Man, learn to connect with me. We live in a generation, we live in a time that I believe people hunger for connecting with God. We saw that with Michael Jackson's memorial. People wrote columns and wrote articles and said it was a spiritual service. It was not a spiritual service. But it shows that there are millions upon millions of, millions of people that want to connect to something bigger than them. And they just don't know how. And Jesus is saying this, don't turn your spiritual life into a performance. You connect to me in an authentic in a real way, because Jesus was talking, talking about a group of people that were praying to him that did not have a relationship with him. That's the danger. That's one of the dangers, that you can pray those prayers, and you may not have a relationship with God. You may have created God in your image. It may just be something ritualistic that you do. And the truth that Jesus is talking about is integrity. And a lot of times when we talk about integrity in our time, you know, we use the slogan and all those sayings that said, who you are in private is who you really are, and who you are and when no one's looking, that's integrity and all that stuff. Jesus would, Jesus would say that's true. But let me tear it, carry it a little bit further. Integrity is also when people are watching you. That you don't try to be more spiritual than you really are. You don't try to be more religious than you really are. That when they hear you pray, when they see you do acts of service, that's what you're doing in private. In other words, integrity is this, is that I'm not going to pretend to be more spiritual than I really am. But here's, here, here's the danger, and here's what we've done in the local church. Because of God experts or whatever, we've, we've developed a special language in communicating with God and, and it makes some people feel like, I can't pray like that. I can't, I can't use those words. I mean, growing up in the church that I grew up in, the chairman of the deacons, whenever he prayed, he'd pray in King James Version, King, King James language. I didn't understand it, but I thought it was so spiritual. And I thought, you know what? I'll never be able to pray like that. And see, that's the danger. And see, we instinctively want to impress others, right? I mean, we instinctively sometimes when we walk into a church, we put on masks. I mean, that's just human nature. That's just about, that's kind of part of it. And in fact, is even, I'll, I'll just tell you, when I was writing this or typing out this sermon, you know, I caught myself. I typed out a line and thought, I wonder if they'll be impressed by that. <laughs> you know, it's instinctive. And the danger of any church is this, is that we could create a culture 
to where people have to put on masks when they come in here or else they won't be accepted, they won't be loved, they won't be welcomed in, they won't be put in groups or whatever. And Jesus is saying this, that you should be so real that who you are in secret is who you are in public. And if you've been a Christian any length of time, you learn Christianese, right, or Christian language. And you learn sayings that you would never, never said before. And you talk to God different than you would talk to anyone else. I mean, for instance, years back, uh, or now, when you're a Christian, you're a Christian long enough, you may so say something like, you know what, that really grieves my heart. That really grieves my spirit. Five years ago, you would have said, that ticks me off. <laughs> I mean, we learn what to say. Or you may say, you know what, I just want you to know I'm carrying a heavy burden today. You may have gas. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even think that was spiritual. <laughs> but we learn enough about Christianese to where we talk in a way, instead of just being real and saying, you know what, I'm having a difficult time in a relationship. I'm having a difficult time at the office. I'm having a difficult time with a child or whatever, or my husband or just or, or, or my profession, and to where we have to, it's like we... We sanitize our prayers and we homogenize our prayers so they're acceptable to God. And God's like, and Jesus is saying, I just want you to be real. I just want you to be authentic in your life. I want you to connect with me on a level that I can connect with you and I can speak truth into your life. Prayer is, prayer is not done for the performance of others. Prayer is to focus on God. And to be able to hear from him. I mean, prayer, true prayer. Listen, we've made prayer into something it's not. Most of our prayers, most go through your prayers. Most of our prayers, we're telling God about stuff that he already knows about. We tell him who we're mad at. He already knows that. He tells him who we're upset about and the difficulty we have in our life and what we'd like, would like for him to change in our life. And we just give him information. He's going, wait a minute, it's much deeper than that. It's where you come to a point in prayer to where you put your goals, your desires, your hurts, your pains aside. There's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Read the Psalms. But to where you're able to connect from me. You know what I need from God? I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need direction. There's sometimes in my life I need answers. And if your prayers aren't real and authentic, you'll never get them. And that's why I think a lot of people give up on this issue of prayer and say it just doesn't work. It's just not worth it. Because they've never learned to connect with God on a deep level, spiritual level. Phil Donahue in his autobiography told a really, really interesting story. When he was starting out as a CBS reporter, and everybody knew he was talented and he was up and coming, and they had a mine explosion in the area where Phil Donahue was working, and so he was sent as a reporter with it, took a camera and mic and everything else in the van, and he got to the mine explosion, and the, the, it had caved in, and there were, there were miners in there, and so as he pulled up, he's getting his camera out, he's getting the mic set up, and he could see that there was a small gathering of people that were gathering around the mine, and then all of a sudden they began singing a song. He heard them sing this song or the words which he documented. He says, what they, he heard them sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. 
What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And when they finished that song, a minister stepped up in front of the crowd and they, they all joined hands and they were hugging and they were weeping and they were crying. And the minister just prayed a passionate prayer, a crying out to the Lord for help and direction and everything and praying for the caregivers and praying for the first responders and all that stuff. And it was an emotional prayer. Phil Donahue couldn't get the camera set up in time to capture the prayer. So he went as the crowd dispersed and everything. He went over to the minister and he tapped him on the shoulder. He said, excuse me, sir, would you mind recreating that prayer for me? I'd like to get it on film. And he says, I can't do that. And he walked away and Phil Donahue went and caught him again and said, excuse me, sir, you don't understand. I work for CBS News. I'm not some local affiliate. I'm not some local station. I mean, when I broadcast this, this is going to go all over the world. This is going to go all over. I mean, this is major news. Please, all I'm asking you to do is recreate the prayer so I can get it on film and I can document it. The minister said, I can't do that. And he got angry and he says, excuse me, you have to. And the minister looked at him and says, obviously you don't understand about prayer. And I won't do it. Turn and walked out. Phil Donahue writes in his autobiography this line, and he says, you know what? Later I realized that I had just witnessed something called integrity. You can't recreate that. You can't recreate connecting with a holy and a righteous and a loving God. See, Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 that true prayer is based on a loving relationship with God. It's not ritual. It's not rules. It's not regulation. See, the Pharisees, it wasn't just the Shema, but they had about 18 other prayers that they would pray various times during the day. And whenever the time come, they would stop doing what they were doing and they would go and pray. And a lot of them would make their way to the busiest areas. They also had prayers that they recited for a meal, didn't come out of their heart, wasn't spontaneous. Prayers that they recited for a meal, they, they recited the same prayer over and over and over. It was meaningless. Whether it was for a meal, whether it was for the sick, whether it was for financial issues, whether it was for, for food, whether it was for provisions, whether it was for grief, whatever, they had a book of prayers. And they'd just open it up. And they'd just read, read from it, and it didn't come from the heart. See, they, they prayed out of obligation. I meant, when you pray, do you, are you praying because you have to? Are you here this morning out of obligation? I mean, are you here this morning because you feel like, I, just out of obligation because my wife wants me to come, my husband wants me to come, I need to do it for the children? Or, I mean, are you here out, out of obligation? Are you here to connect with God in a deep way, in a spiritual way? See, Jesus was communicating to them that he said, I don't want your relationship with me to be driven by obligation. I don't want your relationship to be driven by the applause and the performance and the people so they think you're spiritually, you're spiritual when you're not even connecting to me. I mean, think about your relationship with him. When you pray, do you pray in a ritualistic way? 
do you connect with him? I mean, are you able, I mean, the verse says that God is your father who is unseen. He's not some distant deity. When he used the phrase father, he was saying it's a personal relationship. Let me ask you, when you get a card from somebody and you open that card, whether it's for an anniversary, a birthday, get well card, whatever, what's more meaningful to you? The pre-printed poem, words that rhyme that someone else wrote? Or does it move you more, the handwritten note that may not rhyme may not be a flowery, poetic language, may even be poor grammar. What means most to you? Your Father in Heaven's the same way. What means the most to Him is not the poetic prayers, not the ritualistic prayers, but the authentic prayers. And so many times, we think in prayer, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, the church has helped foster this to where we think prayers is using God's name as much as possible in many different ways possible known to man. Dear Lord Jesus, creator of the universe, the heavens and the skies, we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our life and Father in heaven we thank you, and thank you, provider, and, and on and on and on. We don't talk to anyone else like that, right? If I'm going to Bob's house and I call him and say, Hey, Bob, Bob, I'm coming to your house today, Bob. And Bob, I'll be there at 3 o'clock, and Bob, I'll bring potato chips, and Bob, maybe we can do a cookout. And I know, Bob, I'll bring some steaks, and Bob, maybe we'll, we'll have shish kebabs. <laughs> Bob? Did you, okay, Bob? We don't pray. We don't talk to anyone else like that. Why is it when we come to God in prayer, all of a sudden we talk differently to him than we would anyone else? And Jesus is just simply saying, I want to connect with you. And listen, I, I don't want you to be self-conscious now about your prayer life. But I want you to understand that he wants to connect with you. He wants to, the sermon title. So many people in passing have asked me, what does that mean? Is that some chat language? Is that some meaning or whatever? And EVOTZ2 has a lot of meaning to me. Since the third grade, I've worn glasses, and so I've gone to the eye doctor every year since the third grade. That means I've gone about 27 times in my life. That's a joke. And after here a while back, after I had LASIK surgery, I will never forget when I read for the first time without glasses the 2020 line. E-V-O-T-Z-2. I know what it is to have poor vision. I know what it is to struggle with vision to where you can't see the future really. And I'd, I'd played a lot of sports, so I was always taking off my glasses even though I had problem with, with distance vision. 
I know what headaches are like. I know what it's like with eye strain. I know what it's like not to be able to read as much as you'd like to because you're just tired. I know what it's like. Listen, let me tell you something. Prayer, when you connect with God, makes the future clear. Here's the other thing. And we do this so often. For all those years of going to the doctor, I could have memorized that line. They don't change. And even though my vision was poor, I could go in and spout it off, E-V-O-T-Z-2. And the doctor couldn't even help me. And I'd stumble around without being able to see and being able to read. Can I just tell you something? A lot of us in prayer, we do that to God. Even though we're struggling, even though we think it stinks, even though we're dealing with difficult circumstances, we tell God what, he, what we think he wants to hear. And we tell God, E-V-O-T-Z-2. And God can't help us. Because we've never gotten honest. We've never gotten authentic. We've never learned or no one's ever really taught us how to connect with God in a real way. I've journaled all, for many, many years since 1995. I've journaled and done a lot of stuff and different things and prayer and everything. And, and here a while back, I came up with a system that is just has deepened my life. And, and I'm going to give you just a little, the cliff notes of it. And then tonight at 6 o'clock in my foundations class, if you want to come and join us and be a part of it, it'd just be a one-shot deal. And I will go through how I connect with God in a real way. And we will, we will spend time in this room. It's going to be a spiritual moment. I mean, Chad's going to be here. He's going to, he's going to do some worship. We're going to do some other things. And my goal is, is to help people understand in a real practical way. Because nobody ever really taught me. There's an acrostic that, that the medical profession uses. It's called SOAP. It's a diagnostic acrostic. And so when you go see your medical doctor, for the, they go through a diagnostic. Di diagnosis in their mind, the S in soap is subjective. So whatever you tell them is very subjective. That may not really be the problem. I mean, the pain that you're having may not be the result of what you think it is. So what you tell them is very subjective. The O is objective. That's where they rely on their training. That's where they rely on their education. And they think, this is what you're telling me. That may not be the case. Here's the facts. This is what I know it to be. And then, then the A is assessment. That's when they make an assessment as far as what is really going on. Here's my medical training. Here's what you're telling me. So I've got to now make an assessment of what's wrong. And the P is prescription or plan. What are we going to do as a result of this? What are we going to do as a result of my assessment? Is it, can it be treated with medication? Can it be treated with diet and exercise? Can it be treated with surgery? And so this system really comes out of the medical profession because here's what happens. Many times our prayers, we connect with God, we're very subjective. We never hear back from him to be objective, to speak back into our life and says, hey, this is what's really going on. This is really the assessment. This is really what you and I, well, this is what you need to do in your life. So here's what we do. We take a reading plan to where you read through the Bible in a year, and I'll give you that. The fact is, it's on the back of your notes for about a week, and then it's going to be on our website. But you go through a reading plan, and before you start reading, you pray and you ask God, God, give me one scripture. Just give me one scripture that speaks into my life today. And when you're reading that scripture, 
usually, generally will pop. And listen, let me tell you something. So many people, the reason they don't write, read the Bible, you know what they say? They say this, well, some of it I don't understand. Well, stick with what you do understand, and we'll call it good. I mean, if you read 18 lines and you understand one line, focus on the one line that you do understand. And then as you grow, you'll know more and more, but you've got to start somewhere. And so take that one verse, and I write it out that this is my scripture for the day. And then the O is observation. You don't even apply it to your life yet. What do you observe about that? What do you, not, not who you think God is and how God responds to you. What do you observe about what he's teaching in his scripture? What do you know to be true from the scripture? A is application. How does it apply to your life? Now then, here's a scripture. Here's my observation. Now how does it apply to my life? And then the P is prayer to where you take that scripture and you pray that scripture back to him. I'm telling you, prayer is this. Prayer is where we do not change God. So many of our prayers is spent trying to change God. Upset with his plan, upset with what's going on, trying to change him. God wants to change us. We're the ones that have to move, not him. You know, after I've started this, I'm just telling you, I can almost remember a week's worth of devotionals using this simple method. Fact is, Karen and I do this not at the same time. We, we talk about it together. But she has her time, I have my time. And it's so easy because while we're eating or she's fixing dinner or we're hanging out together, she could look over at me and say, hey, what was your verse? What was your, what, and, and I'll tell her. And then she shares with me within a matter of minutes. And you know what it, you know what's done for us? I know in a deep way what my wife's needs are and what she's going through. I know what her prayers are. And she knows mine. It's been interesting to us over the last few weeks about the different themes that go through hers and go through mine. I'll just give you, I'll just give you a couple. One day, my verse was this. The sins of some men seem obvious. Others' men's sin trail far behind them. My observation that day, God, there's two groups of people out there. There's some people, their sins are very, very obvious. And they get judged and condemned and everything out. There's another group of people, they can hide their sins. They have secret sins that trail behind them. Listen, the danger for you is not that you get by with it or the danger for you is not that you get caught the danger is that you never get caught my application Lord help me to make sound judgments I mean have you ever jumped in a relationship with, ship with someone too fast and you realized oh no their sins trail far behind them and it causes you all kinds of problems Part of my prayer was also, Lord, may I live a life in such a way that my sins don't trail behind me. That I live in such a way, I connect with you in such a way that I never have to worry when the shoe's going to drop. When I never have to worry. What's, there's another one, rend your hearts, not your garments, out of Amos. It was talking about a group of people that, that got to the point in Amos where they got to the point where they, all they cared about was the outward stuff. All they cared about was the religious stuff. 
and all they cared about was trying to impress others. And in my observation, it was just this. You know what? We live in a time and day where people, that's all they care about is their garments. I mean, they're judging Christians and they're judging one another and they're judging people because they can't play the game as well as them. And Lord, there's sometimes I dislike Christians when they begin to judge others for tattoos and hair color and stuff that doesn't matter and, and preaching style and all this other stuff. When they're not doing anything in ministry and they're not building any relationships or they're not doing anything. Another one was avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will walk farther away from God or become more and more ungodly. That was my verse that day. I mean, there's something about us. In fact, as Proverbs says, we all want to know the rumor mill, right? We all want to know the rumor mill at the office, and we all want to know the rumor mill, what's going on in everybody else's life, and we all want to know the gossip whether it's in church or the rumor mill or relationships or whatever. And he says, you know what? Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it, you'll become more and more ungodly. And I prayed through that verse, and I connected with him. Oh, one last one. If you do not stand firm, your faith will not stand at all. Kind of sounds like a country and western song. Man, that day, God, help me to stand firm in my faith. See, God never called me. Watch this. God never called me to be like a pastor. God called me to be Christ-like. That was my verse that day. You'd be shocked. I got our staff doing this. I got our leadership doing this. You can do this with couples. You can do this with, I got an accountability partner. We do this together. It's amazing when you learn to take God's word and allow God's word, because without God's word, it's very subjective. You'd be amazed at how many times during the day that God gives me a word, God gives me a scripture, and I can speak it into someone's life. You'd be amazed how many times during the day I apply that to my life. Just taking one verse. 20, 25 minutes is all it takes. And if you want to learn more about this, tonight at 6 o'clock during our foundations class, it's going to be really, really practical. We're going to go through some mechanics of this. And then it's going to be very practical. And we're going to let some people share, and it's going to be a cool deal. But my goal is this. Listen, let me tell you something, just so you don't misunderstand me. You don't need a pastor to tell you what God's Word says. God's Word was not written to pastors. God's Word was not written to theologians. God's Word was written to people. And God wants to speak to you and to communicate with you and he wants you to connect with him in a deep and a powerful way.